another edition of Through the Spoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. It is the bye week. We are here to serve up some rat poison, as Nick Saban calls it, by pointing out the things that have gone well in Miami's 4-0 start. And we will also discuss maybe some areas to improve, also share our thoughts on the ACC at large and and where things stand with Miami uh, with their remaining schedule, which is all ACC games. So uh, before we jump into that podcast, Gabby, we have our last ad read for the fun video game we've been pumping here this month. For the last time this month, remind people where they can go to play this game. It's a bye week, so this week might be a good good time to give this game a shot and uh, tell them what the game is, what it's all about, and how much it is. Yeah, absolutely, guys. You know, definitely should check out Football Coach College Dynasty. Uh, it's a PC exclusive game uh, on Steam with a 95% positive rating. Gives you the opportunity uh, to really just, it's really a college football management game. Uh, so it gives you opportunity to just be a coach, to create game plans, call plays, recruit players, develop your team and compete for national championships. And it features everything that we love about college football, including conference realignment, school boosters, official visits for recruits, the transfer portal, and even NIL. So that's available for $11.99 on Steam, again, exclusively for the PC. And uh, we appreciate those guys for for supporting the podcast this month. Yep, great stuff. And um, go check that game out. It's a lot of fun. All right, let's dive into where things are at after the first month of this 2023 season. Again, Miami's off to a 4-0 start, up to number 18 in the AP Top 25 poll which I think is perfectly fair. Uh, and so, Gabby, I just want to talk about first, you know, we'll keep it positive here. There's a lot of positives to get into Definitely. on both sides of the ball. So let's start on offense. Uh, what what we like most about the team to this point on offense, I'll let you have the floor first. Where do you want to take this? Yeah, I mean, I just think a really just I, I specifically on the offensive side of the ball, like I think one of the things I like most about what Miami's done to this point, it feels like they can kind of get you in a few different ways. Like I feel like they can kind of like methodically ground and pound you down the field. Uh, they can kind of chop up the field with that short to intermediate passing game, use different ways to kind of spread the ball around the field. And then, but they can also kind of go explosive on you and they have the potential to kind of go over the top and, and make those plays downfield. Uh, you know, I love how, how, uh, you know, solid that offensive line is, how really uh, it feels like they've been dominant to this point, but it feels like this team, uh, you know, kind of has a way uh, to, to kind of get you uh, based on whatever it is that you're kind of showing them on defense, uh, whether that be, again, kind of ripping it around. Tyler Van Dyke has been extremely efficient. He's the highest graded quarterback uh, through four weeks of the college football season, according to Pro Football Focus. And again, they've done just an exceptional job of just running the ball too. The wide receivers have emerged as guys who can be kind of depended on, relied upon to make plays. And so I just love the different ways that this that this group can kind of go after a team, uh, go after a defense. And uh, I, I think that their ability to kind of be multiple on offense while also kind of establishing an identity, right? Like we know 
I feel like we kind of know what Miami wants to be right now. And then, and that's just, again, controlling the line of scrimmage, um, you know, obviously running the ball, but again, I think that they still have the ability to still get you in, in a multitude of other ways. And that's that I feel like we still haven't even seen the full potential of this offense because uh, you know, we still we, like Elijah Arroyo hasn't played. So we're still even, we, we still haven't even seen what, what what the ways that he can even alter or impact the way that this offense can kind of get you as well. So uh, I, I'm 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 really excited about what this group has done so far on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, you know, again, that th- those are just a few of the things I really like about what I've seen to this point. Yeah, I think you know it's not exciting to talk about offensive line play, but to me, that's the story of these first four month first four games, along with the system that Shannon Dawson has installed at Miami. To me, the offensive line is allowing that side of the ball to maximize its potential. And the potential is what it is, right? I think you and I, and I think even Mario Cristobal would agree, like the talent is what the talent is. The potential is what the potential is. But are you maximizing whatever that talent and potential is? I think the offensive line is allowing Miami to do that. On the offensive side of the ball, we are seeing the best version of Tyler Van Dyke since he's been here. He's a better player. He's a better player through these first four games than he was back in 2021 when he kind of emerged out of nowhere as a very productive player. I think he's at a much higher level right now through these first four games, and it should be that way because we, we've we've known he's always had the physical talent. To me, it was more about just being older, being confident um, in the system he's playing in. And that's kind of, we're seeing that play out in these first four games. And it's playing out that way because he knows the offensive line is essentially going to let him play seven on seven. He's out there more plays than not. I think that the number is 83% of his dropbacks this year. He is not dealing with pressure. And last year, I think that number was something like 71%. That might not seem like a huge difference, but it is. Uh, When the game's played in the margins like it is in college football, those 10 to 12 percentage points of not dealing with pressure is a big, big difference. Um, He's averaging like 10 and a half yards per attempt. He's back there playing seven on seven. And when Tyler Van Dyke has time, he can deliver throws with good accuracy, good ball placement for his receivers to either go make plays or catch and get up field and generate some yak. I think it's also allowed the running backs to find easy yards uh, in the run game. You know, in a lot of ways, what we've seen through these first four games, it's a lot of, it's the top two backs in terms of carries are kind of the same guys from last year, Henry Parrish, Don Chaney. They're Henry Parrish is being much more productive this year. And, that's due to the offensive line. That's also due to Shannon Dawson's system. I think Mario, we've we've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I think it's there there has been Bruce Feldman of the Athletic wrote a good national story about uh Shannon Dawson's offense after that Texas AM game. I still think it's being a little underrated how, you know, it's a big step for Mario Cristobal to go to this style of offense. And the results through the first four games, I would assume and I would hope that Mario Cristobal is very happy with how this offense is producing in a balanced way in the passing game and the run game. Um, Shannon Dawson has been creative with his play designs, 
multiple formations, um, and, and the run principles that we saw at Oregon with Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal are being implemented into this Shannon Dawson air raid attack. So the thing I like, Gabby, just kind of building on your point, and I wrote an article this morning kind of highlighting it. I think if we're just talking big picture wise, the two things that I think Miami has really taken a nice step forward year over year is being explosive. And they've been explosive both through the air and on the ground. And they have also done a really good job of limiting negative plays, which was, and those were two areas that were significant issues for the offense last year. So Miami's averaging 8.24 yards per play this year through the first four games. And that ranks third in the country trailing Washington and USC. Wow. In 20, last year, they averaged 5.3 yards per play. So they're almost three yards per play better through these first four games. That is a huge jump. Massive. Um, Miami's generated 29 plays already this year that have gone for 20 yards. That ranks 10th best in the country. That's an average of 7.25 of those plays per game. Last year, Miami averaged only three and a half plays of at least 20 yards per game. So they've doubled that mark per game this year. Uh, in the passing game, again, 10.4 yards per attempt. Last year, that number was 6.9 yards per attempt. Uh, in the run game, it's a huge jump. Again, small sample size, but still, I think these jumps matter. Uh, it's telling in some way in terms of the trend is going in the right direction. 222 yards per game on the ground this year, which is 11th in the country. 6.45 yards per carry, which is third best in the country. Last year, Miami was 127 rushing yards per game, averaging only 3.72 yards per carry. So they're they're more efficient. They are more explosive. And then we turn to limiting the negative plays. You know, some of this is due to the system that Shannon Dawson is installing. Tyler Van Dyke's getting the ball out very quick this year, 2.23 seconds, average time to throw. That's the second fastest time in the country of any quarterback right now. Offensive line play has improved as well, of course. Only 17 pressures Tyler's seen through these first four games. In the run game, and this does include st- include sacks, I suppose, because that's how it goes in college football, but three and a half tackles for loss per game, Miami's allowing so far this season. That's down from 5.75 tackles for loss per game. And as we all know, tackles for loss can totally derail drives. Um, that's how you kill a drive. You you get a negative play like that. It can really throw things off course. Turnovers. Um, the way I look at turnovers, Gabby, is like turnover situations. And so Pro Football Focus does a good job of tracking turnover-worthy plays in the passing game, which, you know, isn't necessarily an interception. It's a, It could be a situation where a quarterback throws a ball to a DB and the DB drops it. But that is a turnover-worthy play. So they track that stat. And then when it comes to fumbles, I I like just tracking how many times are you fumbling? Not fumbles lost or whatever, but are you fumbling? Um, Last year, 
Miami was averaging 3.25 turnover situations per game. This year, that number through these first four games, one and a half turnover situations per game. So they've cut back on the negative plays, tackles for lost sacks, and also turnover situations. That speaks to also just the confidence that I think Tyler has with running the system, you know, his comfortable factor too. So, you know, I think in general, like if I'm just summing up what I like about the offense in general, I think, and we we were harping on this all off season. I feel like we talked about it for nine months, but this season, I feel like we kind of hyped up, like we felt like we were going to learn about the power of a good offensive line and how that can impact every other position group. And it's played out that way through these first four months because the entire offense is able to maximize what they are. Like, I think, I can't really think of a position group or a player that plays significant snaps that isn't kind of living up to what their potential is or or their talent level is. Right. Would you agree with that? Like, I think Tyler, Tyler's maximized the running backs. The receivers, everyone. The receivers have exceeded my expectations, but um, I think all this honestly goes back to the offensive line and what they're able to allow to happen. Yeah, and I think it's just, I think I mean, just for for me, uh, it's one of those things where it's just like I don't know if I really understand. Like, I obviously understand how important a really good offensive line is, but like the weight, like the trickle effect of what that offensive line has done to the rest of the team or for the rest of the team. I didn't realize how big of an impact it would have on everybody. I thought it would be like, okay, like it would, it would help Tyler probably help the backs, but the way that it's kind of really just across the board has kind of allowed everyone to kind of elevate uh, where it's kind of, it feels like you can kind of stem it all back to the offensive line play and what they've been able to kind of do up front. Cause everything that you're talking about, I think it starts because the protection is significantly better, which allows Tyler to be more efficient and more effective. And, and then that just kind of, again, just kind of trickles down and down and down. And I mean, the way that those guys have kind of been able to, and, and I think it's, it's even like a confidence thing, right? Like I feel like everyone's playing more confidently. I think everyone's playing just with more juice because I think they know that there's more plays to be made. There's more opportunity. There's going to like, like the, like the ball's going to get sprayed around. Like, you know, I think if you're, if you're Jacoby George, if you're Xavier Estrepo, I think you're playing with a little more juice on every play, knowing that there's going to be an opportunity for you to make kind of, you know, get the ball in your hands and make a play. I think if you're Henry Parrish, I think you're running a little bit harder knowing that there's going to be a hole for you to kind of find and, and hit and, and make a play on and all those things. So I think just, I think what, what's kind of, stemmed from the offensive line and how it's again just kind of trickled down to everybody across the roster i mean and then of course schematically and everything else i just think we're just seeing a way more confident group mm-hmm. uh, a, a group that feels good about what they're doing on a down to down basis and feels like they're going to be able to accomplish what they are called to accomplish uh you know again play to play and it's not it's not always perfect of course and i'm not saying that this is like the best offense in the country or whatever but right. man the, i mean these guys are these guys are rolling and it's hard to i mean again you look at the advanced analytics david i know you're you're great with that and hearing some of those numbers I mean, it's it's hard to argue about uh, like just where the how far and really how far. I mean, before this season, we were, t- we were talking about how far can we re- like how how big of a leap can we realistically expect? And it seems like we're seeing pretty significant, uh, yes, jumps. on offense, yeah. yeah, on offense, like it's it's significant. And we talk about like okay, maybe that's unrealistic to expect this, 
but we're seeing some like really lofty like I see, I feel like you're just serious uh, jumps in a lot of those uh, analytics and 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 statistical uh, things where this, these guys are really showing how much better and that this offense is, man. So it's really exciting, man. It's 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 fun to see this offense again, even just year over year, like just com- like comparing. I mean, it feels like apples to oranges at this point, but uh, yes. you know, especially just seeing what they did last year compared to this year, it's it's been a lot of fun that seeing how certain little tweaks and things can lead to such a drastic, drastic change. Yeah. I think, you know, look, these numbers are probably going to come down to earth a little bit as we get into ACC play, but even still, like, let's say, let's say they they're 85% of what these numbers are 80 to 85% of what these numbers are through the first month. That's still a top 25 ish offense. And that's a significant jump of, you know, being an offense that a lot of metrics had in the nineties to, to a top 25 ish offense. That's a huge, huge jump. And uh, yeah, it's, it is impressive. I know, I'm kind of at the point, Gabby. So right now they're averaging, I think, 42 points and change, 42 point something points per game. Um, I kind of think, I do think that this offense has a chance to be at that 35 point per game mark. Yeah, I think that that's like a fair expectation at this point. If you do that, you're, you're putting yourself in a position, of course, to win a lot of games. Of course, that doesn't mean you're scoring 35 every game, uh, but more games than not, if you crack that 35 point mark and you have the talent that Miami does have on defense, you would think that Miami's defense can hold teams under 35 points more times than not. So things are definitely trending in the right direction on offense. Again, it's going to level up here in ACC play, but I don't know. I don't know if the offense could have gotten off to a better start than what we've seen through these first four games. Let's go to the defense. Gabby, to me, I think the story on defense through these first four games starts with the run defense. They're much better with their run fits and they're tackling much better too. Um, It's taken, what was it, 2021? They were the worst tackling Power 5 team in the country. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 2022, they were still below average last year in tackling. We finally seen them take that jump um 48 yards per game on the ground allowed pro football focus grades Miami as the third best run defense in the country i believe they're a top 10 tackle grade in the country too they've missed only 22 tackles on the year so that's an average of what five ish tackles per game um in college football if you can stop the run you've put yourself in a significant advantage on defense and you know i don't know if they've necessarily faced offenses that run the ball great but 48 yards per game i think that does translate in some way and they are improved year over year in that phase of defense yeah and i think it's kind of like what you're saying like yeah some of these numbers might kind of you know come back to earth in a certain way but what we know is that the defense the run defense is significantly improved it seems like the tackling's uh significantly improved and again i think those are things that we've seen to this point that are you know extremely extremely encouraging and i just think really i think it's just a defense that's really just more physical like i think that there's a like more 
just just overall top to bottom i think it's a more physical it's a more physical group i think that's something that we've again another thing that i feel like has kind of just lacked is just like that overall top to bottom uh physicality i feel like it's aggressive i feel like it's it's multiple i feel like we're seeing a land i mean this is this is like what we kind of saw on, you know, quote unquote, like on paper from Lance Gidry, like a lot of the things that we kind of saw or expected when when he kind of came in based on his resume and what he had done at other places, like, you know, even Marshall, which is, you know, a good program and a good defense. Like, I feel like a lot of his identity is kind of starting to settle in here at Miami with the way that these guys kind of play defense. So uh, I, I think it's again, I think both of these coordinators have been you know, total studs. I think that they've both been, been, been big time hires, uh, you know, just even despite some of like, you know, I guess the narrative around them, the Miami hired a pair of group of five coordinators. I think both these guys have proven this, but I think just Gidry on the defensive side of the ball has proven that he's a, a high level coordinator. And, uh, you know, I think I'm just watching the way that this defense has just kind of continued to improve, especially after some of the things that we saw again, a year ago from these guys and really over the past couple of years to see where this defense is kind of trending to. And again, I don't think this defense is where it wants to be yet but i think uh the way that they attack the run the way that they prioritize that the way they're kind of getting multiple hats to the ball uh, uh the way that they're kind of just throwing different looks at guys the way that they they use guys in different ways and move pe- move people around i mean it, it's just been a lot of fun to watch these guys play defense and uh you know I, I think it's been you know again to me it's the defense has just been a ton of fun to watch too not perfect but i think uh the defense yeah. has been has been much better also yeah, so stopping the run was an issue, particularly in the second half of the season last year. So they've improved that area. The other area that was a significant issue last year was was explosive plays and and more specifically explosive touchdowns. Last year, uh, Miami allowed 5.94 yards per play, which ranked 103rd in the country. This year, through these first four games, that number is at 4.63 yards per play which ranks 27th in the country. And Gabby, I'm sure, I mean, we all remember those long explosive touchdowns that Miami was allowing through the air um, in too many games last year. I went and looked. Do you remember? I didn't remember this until I saw it, of course, but it was like, okay, that was kind of a long-ish touchdown, but still not that long. Anyways, what's the longest touchdown the defense has allowed so far to this point? Can you remember? No, I'm trying to think of like a long touchdown. Um, it had so, to have been the A&M game. It was the point? A&M game. It was a 19-yard touchdown to the fullback. Remember that little play? Oh, where, the little – okay, yeah. Where Miami pressured, blitzed, and – and Texas A&M kind of yeah. burned him with that nice little fullback, yep. kind of a wheel route-ish. That, that went for 19 yards. And uh, so that's the longest touchdown that they've allowed on the year. Every other touchdown has come from inside the 10. So they're doing a good job. Lance Gidry's doing a good job of mixing kind of an aggressive approach, you know, kind of dictating two offenses with blitz and pressures and twists and stunts up front and, and coverage games on the back end too. Uh, but also they do kind of have, and I don't think this is a bad thing. As long as you're mixing both styles, they do kind of have a bend, but don't break elements uh, w- with what they're doing on defense too, which of course is good with making offenses work, make them work to move the ball and score points. So they're doing a good job of, of uh, balancing 
those two factors of defensive football. They do an excellent job of keeping quarterbacks off balance and uncomfortable uh, and guessing what is next, whether that's with pressures or coverages on the back end. So um, they've definitely improved on through again through four games. And I don't know if they've necessarily played any offensive juggernauts. I mean, Texas A&M, I think, has a lot of talent and a lot of potential. Uh, I mean, we're getting off track here, but Connor Wegman got injured this past week, so we'll see how they navigate that situation. Mac Johnson came in and performed well. Um, but I do think in this ACC schedules, Miami's going to see some some better offenses than they've seen uh, through these first four games. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later. And the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation. And Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305. 393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial. And let's take pride in our finances. This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at MidwaySports.com. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at TorresLionel1, the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises, your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. How about just players on defense, Gabby? Because to me, like... I do like what Francisco Mauinoa brings as a middle linebacker. Like to me, he just runs things very well. He's kind of always in the right spot in when it comes to run fits. Jaden Davis is a dog, just gets it done with for sure. You know, as an undersized feisty corner, but he's great in run support. His coverage is pretty good, his tackling and physicality. It's also crazy to me, like Ruben Bain, just how good he is for a freshman. Doesn't look like one physically, never overmatched from a physical standpoint. 
And also too, like he, he plays a clean game. Like he executes at a high level in some areas where a lot of freshmen are just lost, uh, whether it's, you know, staying in your, in your gap or, or making the right run fits or RPO reads more times than not Ruben Bain is, is making the right reads. So, and the last ones I would kind of highlight in that Texas A&M game specifically, we haven't really seen much of them because of Cam's little injury thing that he's had to come back from. Um, but in that Texas A&M game, I thought that like James Williams and Cam Kitchens played like one of the best safety duos in the country in that game with the way they were playing fast, cleaning things up, erasing plays, flying around the field. If they could play like that during ACC play, they're going to be one of the best safety duos in the country. Yeah, I think that they have the potential to be. And just aside from the names that you mentioned, I mean, James Williams was a guy that again, I feel like I've been critical of in the past, just kind of wanting to see more sure. from him. And I think that he, I, he's I do talented. Think, yeah, he's super talented. And I think that he's definitely starting to turn the corner. I think we're starting to see more, more of James, more of the James Williams we thought that we were going to see uh, now as a junior. And I think that he's someone that's, that's much improved. Uh, I think he's doing a lot of different things. So have been excited about James. You talk about sure. a guy that's playing with confidence. To me, yeah. he's a guy that the confidence level is just significantly higher. Year definitely. Year with James Williams. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, he he's someone that's definitely starting to to kind of pop, and uh, you know, I that's awesome to see. I think that that's such a big step that we needed to see from James Williams, and that's all I think we wanted to see. Uh, you know, even and even like a guy like you know like Daryl Porter. Uh, you know, kind of watching back in that Temple game, I feel like it, it didn't hurt them, but he did kind of have like have like a yeah. busting coverage. But I feel like he, I feel like he's someone that's just kind of played just better than I thought that he was going to kind of be going into the year. Um, so, I mean, I think Daryl Porter's absolutely someone who I would kind of put in that category uh, defensively, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I think I think those are I, I think those are those are a few guys that kind of that kind of come to mind outside of the ones that you mentioned. Anything else on defense you want to highlight? No, I mean, not to me, no, nothing, nothing in particular. Who are some guys? So you, you've maybe mentioned some guys already that, that you've changed your mind about since the start of fall camp. Is there anywhere else you want to go with this? Maybe on the offensive side? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think that there's, I think that just in general, like just in from the start of fall camp, like even just like, Really, the corner. I mean, to me, it was just like it's just been like really the cornerback room. Just in general, I feel like the cornerbacks have just been so much better. And then even kind of going back to the offensive side of the ball, like I think even a guy like Jacoby George, like I think he's someone yep. who I felt like had an opportunity, uh, you know, to step up. And it was just kind of like, what are you going to do with this? And it was almost like me personally, like I don't know, like I felt like, hey, is Tyler Harrell going to eventually push this guy? Because I feel like maybe he has more tools. But I mean, Jacoby George, I feel like has answered the call, and he's been someone that. You know, out, I mean, again, a guy who's kind of had up and down moments, like especially just kind of thinking back at that Texas A&M game. And I think he's someone who's still going to have to maybe go through some kind of speed bumps along the way. But I feel like overall, uh, Jacoby George has has kind of taken has taken that next step. And we talked about a guy like Henry Parrish uh, again. And I think me, both of us, you know, kind of were of the the line of thinking that it was eventually going to be the A.J. Allen and Mark Fletcher show. And I feel like Henry Parrish has answered the call. Like I think yes. Henry Parrish has, has kind of, you know, he he's welcomed the competition. He didn't run from the competition with Miami going out, getting a couple guys. And Henry Parrish is someone who I think has elevated his game here. And, uh, you know, we were looking for that 
hundred, who was going to be that guy that kind of to kind of be that big have that big rushing game, and it was Henry Parrish in that Temple game. So uh, Henry Parrish, uh, Jacoby uh, Jacoby George are a couple um, that just come to mind. You know, yeah, I guess off the top of my head. Yeah, Jacoby for me, you know, I think it was pretty clear for everyone on this podcast. Like, I wasn't a big believer in him coming into this year, but he has absolutely gone out and performed at a nice level through these first four months. He's made some plays. And it does look like he's starting to turn the corner. Next step is doing it against ACC competition. So hopefully he continues on this trajectory. You mentioned Henry Parrish. Totally. What's he averaging? Like seven and a half yards per yeah, carry. I mean, that's, that's big time. Uh, the other guy I would highlight too at running back, just to give him his props because he's had a tough road here is Don Chaney, uh, you know, fighting through some frustrating injury luck during his Miami career. And, and look, if we're going to talk big picture about Don Chaney and, and what his, this season means for him and his career and all that, to me, like I look at it this year as like a long-term kind of journey situation. Like to me, this season for him is about getting back, surviving a season healthy or somewhat healthy and getting confidence back in your ability. And I think if he can, if he can get through the season healthy and regain that confidence, then it's going to be time to start maybe trimming down the body fat, getting his conditioning on point for next year. Because look, Don Chaney in high school was a very explosive running back. Uh, in high school, I think he high like in track, he high jumped something like six feet 10 uh, in the high jump and ran a 10 seven in the hundred meters. So he's a guy that has that type of ability He's not that guy right now, but I think if he improves and and I'm just I'm saying this because I do believe in his ability. I do believe in his potential. And so look, I think this year just kind of get through the season healthy, get that confidence back, and then next offseason just kind of start working on improving your body just a little bit. And I think we might see some of that explosive come back. Anyway, that's a tangent. Uh corners, I agree with you. I I think we've kind of learned that they're good enough. I still don't know if I don't, I'm not quite willing to say as a group that they're good, but I think they're good enough. Good enough, right. Especially in the system. And I'll admit too, like I, I was, I believed in him, but I was still a little bit like, let's see how this goes with Jalen Rivers at left tackle, just because he's a guy that had played in the interior his entire career, playing left tackle is a whole different ballgame. And he is definitely holding his own through these first four games. And gelling nicely as well with with JV and Cohen. Some of the way, the way they play together on that left side at times is beautiful. With the the way they pass off stunts and twists, so um, I am imp- I am impressed with him at left tackle through this first four months. We'll see. Clemson's going to offer a different test. I think UNC has a good edge rusher. Louisville is a good edge rusher. Of course, we know Jared Verse at Florida State, big time edge rusher. So there's definitely more tests to come, but. Jane Rivers is doing a nice job at left tackle to this point. And then the wide receiver group in general. And the thing I'm most encouraged about right now with this group is they are going out and making plays on the season. Just as a position group, they have caught eight of 11 contested catch opportunities. So they are turning 50, 50 balls into what? 90, 10 situation, 80, 80, 10 balls in their favor. Of course, that rate isn't going to hold up during the entire season, but I do think it's encouraging to see Xavier Restrepo go make contested catches downfield. 
Uh, we know Colby Young has that ability. Jacoby George is doing it as well. So I think the group is leveling up. And again, if Tyler Van Dyke has time to operate, he can deliver passes with good ball placement for these guys to go make plays. Um, how about, in what ways do you feel like Miami can unlock another level? You mentioned a healthy Elijah Royo. I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, that makes them more multiple, you know, pre-injury. So last year, he he was one of the freakier athletes on the team, just in terms of height, weight, um, explosive ability, speed. He was that type of athlete. So we'll see how he looks when he comes back. Um, and if you look at the tight end position through these first four games, it's only four receptions, no touchdowns on the year from that position group. I think uh, Cam McCormick has done a very nice job helping as a blocker. I think it, against Temple, and we said this in the instant reaction, but going back and watching that game, like, Riley Williams is leveling up his blocking. He took a nice step forward with his blocking in that game. Uh, and so Elijah Royal does give them a more dynamic passing threat uh, at that position group. And, um, you know, that's that, of course, is going to help the attack be more multiple. Is there anywhere else where you feel like Miami can maybe unlock another level? Yeah, I feel like if... Again, just I for talking offensively, like I think Tyler Harrell's emergence, uh, you know, him kind of uh, finding a way to kind of crack that. And I know they kind of took a shot at him in that. Just get a game. role. You know? Right. Just just him establish. I mean, I think it's about him also. Like he's got to establish a role. Like I think he's got to create right. a role for him, like just kind of coming on and and kind of taking that step, uh, I think would definitely be. Uh, a big way that Miami can can again I can continue to add to what this offense can do, and I think the the last thing that I had jotted down is just I feel like just the complete stable of backs. I feel like there's been I, I like I think outside of the Miami of Ohio game, I don't think that we've had like the like all four of them kind of there because AJ Allen's kind of like didn't play the first half of the was it the Bethune Cookman game? He didn't play the first half, and then he didn't, obviously didn't play against Temple. Uh, then Mark Fletcher, business. Yeah, yeah, Mark Fletcher was out. Like I like I think he was dealing with like the whatever the it was that he yeah the concussion that he was dealing with. Um, so I think just having all four of those guys available and doing that stuff, I think, is another way that Miami can kind of continue to kind of just level up this offense. I'll say this too: I think they got to cut down on penalties, especially in big games. They yeah they currently rake in the hundreds in penalties and and penalty yards per game and in those games against like North Carolina, Clemson, Florida State those penalty yards are going to play a factor in those thin margin for error type of games also too you know, I they're improved year over year but I think it's fair to nitpick maybe the red zone touchdown efficiency on both sides of the ball on offense, Miami scoring at a 66% clip which is a significant improvement year over year. Last year was at 54% uh, red zone touchdown conversion rate, which was 101st in the country. Dawson wants to be 75%, but I do, you know, that's elite. I don't know how achievable that is, but if he can get to like 70 percentile, that would be a top 20 red zone touchdown conversion rate. Um, so I'd like to see 
more improvement in that phase. And then on defense, red zone touchdowns allowed last year. Uh, Miami was allowing 56%. This year, it's 55%. So you want to be just below 50%. And again, these percent, these percentages might not seem like a lot, but they really are uh, compared to 133 other teams. Um, and again, when you're playing the game within the margins, those percentage points are huge. So I would bring those points to the table. I'd also say this. I think... In games, and we'll get into this later on when we maybe talk about the opponents coming up, but in games where an offense has a significant slot receiver to deal with, I like the idea of Jaden Davis playing the nickel and Devontae Brown or Jadis Richard or whoever on the outside. So that's one thing I would bring to the discussion as well. Are there any players that you feel like can give more in ACC play coming up. Like, yeah, I, I think, I think Nigel Kelly has another gear. He He's kind of sure. dealt, dealt with an injury, um, but he, he needs to be Miami's big time speed rusher to me. Um, no, I don't know if we've seen him at his best yet to this season. And again, some of that's explainable because of the injury, but I do think he's, he's an important player. Uh, and I do think he has a lot more to give. And you mentioned AJ Allen. To me, that's a big one too. I think he has the potential to be Miami's best running back this year. But you got to be on the field. You got to handle your business and be on the field to get those opportunities. Where would you go? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think just along the lines of the Jaden Davis stuff. And again, I think people might take this the wrong way, and I don't necessarily mean it, but like in a way that I'm like dashing the guy, but like I to Corey couch. And obviously he's been performing well because he's, he has the three interceptions. He had two against temple, but I still think that he's someone that I think could, again, if he's going to, if he's going to be on the field, like if he's going to be the nickel that they're rolling with, like, I think we need to see some stuff. I think some, some of the coverage stuff get cleaned up uh, just because it feels like there's been cases over the course of the season where, you know, he's, he's just hasn't been, you know, totally on point from a coverage standpoint. Again, he's made plays when he's kind of had to make plays and there. That's where like, I kind of tip my cap to them. But, um, you know, I, I still think Colby, um, I still think to Corey couch has a definitely has another, another gear that he can kind of get to that would, uh, that would help Miami, uh, just kind of continue to clean up that back end. And along the same line of thinking, like I think Devonte Brown, like someone that you had mentioned, like, I think if like if Devonte Brown, were to kind of emerge, I think it would kind of make that transition of Jaden Jaden Davis to his, maybe his more natural nickel spot, uh, like easier or just like really a corner. It could be it could be Jadis Richard, it could be Devonte Brown, um, it could be you know just one of those types uh, to kind of emerge on the other side. And then a couple other guys I mentioned, like you know uh, Tyler Harrell is one who I think could give more an AC play, and you know another guy I'm kind of looking to who I think could just kind of elevate the play too is a guy like KJ Cloyd. I think that he's obviously, I think he's performing well to this point, well enough, but I think that if I, I think that he's a guy that could again, also kick it into an, like that next gear and, and potentially be a difference maker as Miami kind of heads into conference play. I want, I want to see Wesley go take that job. Honestly, yeah. I think, and I think he's doing, I think he's doing enough, like just watching games. I think Wesley is a guy. Who's, I think he's the better one. Yeah, I Honestly. think he is too, but they're playing KJ more. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I think right. you need to see more from KJ if he's going to kind of hold on to that. Agreed. I just think it's time to go with Wesley. That's just yeah. my thought. That's fair. And, and uh, yeah, no, I think, I think, I think Wesley's been the better player, 
But yeah. if they're gonna let if they're gonna keep rolling KJ it's out close. there, I think but it's I, close. But Wesley flashes way more, and to me, definitely. in some games, you can't run, like against North Carolina, against Clemson, against Florida State. You just got to roll with your best, and you can't rotate as deep as you do in these other games. Yeah. And in those games, I want to see their two best linebackers, and to me, that's Kiko and Wesley. Yeah. That's that's me. But again, I KJ's not far off, and honestly, Corey Flag hasn't played terribly. Like no, he's he hasn't. He's actually he's playing the best football I think he's played of his UM career. Yeah, uh, but I think that's also because he's kind of playing a role that's actually right. better suited. Like he's not starting Correct. middle linebacker. Like he's a fine reserve, you know, backup yes. middle linebacker, and he can be good in that role in a more Correct. limited role. So yeah, I think Corey Flag's been fine too. I think Francis Francis Maui Noah. Needs to keep leveling up. We saw him take a nice step against Temple. Yeah. Again, that's Temple, though. Uh, Got to keep on that trajectory in ACC competition. I think, too, Leonard Taylor, kind of yeah, similar boat. Definitely. He took a nice step forward against Temple, but that's Temple. Uh, Miami will need him to to flash in similar ways against these big-time ACC opponents that are on deck how about areas to keep an eye on that can hold the team back in general? I know like for me, Gabby, we we've talked about the idea of the nickel corner. Um, you know, I, I do think in ACC play when offenses have a slot receiver that can give me fits, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. And look, teams will tell you with their actions where they think they can find success. And there's no doubt that, Teams are going at to Corey Couch more than any other uh, defensive player right now. He's been targeted 22 times. He's allowed 15 receptions for 185 yards and two touchdowns. Those aren't like terrible numbers, but relative to the rest of the defense, it's definitely kind of it's it's noticeable that teams are going at him the most. Um, as you pointed out, does have three interceptions, which is encouraging. He's making the plays that come to him. Um, but slot receivers. And when I think ahead, that's, you know, teams that have good slot pass catchers, that would be like North Carolina's Nate McCullum, Clemson's Tyler Brown, who's a freshman that's emerging. I'd even include like FSU's Jaheim Bell, you know, who's, who's a tight end slash H back, but he lines up a lot in the slot and he is definitely athletic. So um, that's definitely one area I would go to. Another area I would go to is it's, I think it's worth keeping an eye on. And I, I like this approach from Miami on defense, you know, the aggressive approach, but on the flip side, when you face offenses that have the ability to burn that aggressive approach, that's going to be something to keep an eye on in some games this year. Texas A&M didn't really know what was coming. You could tell uh, they weren't really ready for that full throttle aggressive approach from Miami's defense. But now that film is out there and teams will be able to, you know, find some answers for those pressures. And, and in this regard, I really look at like North Carolina who has a, top five pick at quarterback and I look at Florida State who um, you know has a crazy amount of weapons on offense and Mike Norvell one of the best at 
uh, dialing it up in the country. I guess I would also kind of include Louisville as a team that could burn Miami's aggressive yeah. defense at times too. So th- th- those two areas are, are kind of some that I would keep an eye on. Yeah, for me, I, I think the first thing that kind of just like stood out to me, and again, I don't think it's anything you can really like, I'm not like, I don't know if it's like a like particular position or anything like that, but to me, it's just, you know, kind of going back to that start against Texas A&M. If I'm thinking about things that could hold this team back, it's just like, how are you going to sh- kind of show up in some of these big games? Cause you have a, yeah, uh, some of these big games that these big conference games are going to be, you're going to start playing some very, very meaningful games, uh, you know, especially, you know, Georgia tech and I mean, not Georgia tech, like after Georgia tech, you got North Carolina. Like, I feel like that's going to be like the next big one. You're going to be on the road and it's like, how, how are you going to respond in those situations? Like, are you going to kind of, be, are you going to be that team that's still kind of like deer in the headlights early and then maybe be able to kind of flip that switch? Or are you going to kind of show up and be that kind of fourth quarter team in some of these big matchups? So that's where I still kind of want to see where Miami is at as far as just like in these big moments, um, especially on, in, in a hostile road environment. Like, how are you going to kind of do that? Because you have to go to you have to go to North Carolina, you have to go to Florida State. And, uh, you know, I think those are going to be obviously two massive, massive games for Miami as far as accomplishing what they want to accomplish. And so I I think that's still one part that I still kind of want to see them actually go and do it. And again, just and I think I'm still kind of nervous about it just because of how kind of off the rails that first quarter went. And like at the same time, applauding them for how they kind of responded and, 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 you know, kind of answered the call, you know, to adversity and, and things like mm-hmm. that, but still understanding that you could put yourself in a bind, like a real bind. If you kind of come out like that in one of these other games where you, 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 you like climbing out of that is not a guarantee that could snowball into something. So I, I feel like that's one spot where I feel like one just thing, I guess, where I feel like could, that can hold Miami back is just how they kind of approach or come out in some of these big ones. And then again, I think just another, just not really like, I don't know if you know if it's like football related, but just like I'm, st- I still am concerned just about the overall depth of the team. And I think you know, obviously, some guys have been out and banged up. And I think if uh, you know, if those some of those guys don't get healthy over the course of this, again, it's going to be a gauntlet of just conference games after, uh, you know, especially as you get later into the season in in in, in November, where you're, you're, you know, you're at NC State, uh, you're at Florida State, Louisville's proving to be a good team, and then you go to you know, Boston, I mean, that's going to be a, a tough stretch at the uh, at the back end of the schedule. How cows mind you going to be able to, uh, you know, respond to some of those games if, you know, maybe they're not where they're at from a health where they want to be um, from a health standpoint. So I think those are just a couple of things that came to mind outside of, you know, the other thing I wrote down was just about the was just about the cornerbacks, you know, just specifically about couch, like couch is making plays. But if he could be he could be much better in coverage, still plenty of meat on the bone uh, in that cornerback room. So. Uh, I think those are just some of the areas that I still feel like can can hinder Miami over the course of the season. Yeah, I think your slow start thing is definitely it's definitely something to monitor in those road games in particular. Yeah, you know, like at North Carolina, at Florida State, that's where things can really be tough to respond. Like we saw the response against Texas A&M, but that was at home. Um, and then the depth thing. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think. I think a lot of fans maybe don't understand how important depth is for navigating an entire season. Um, you know, at some positions you have, you could be featuring a six round pick 
that's a good college player, but his backup is someone that's going to be selling insurance for a living. Right. And, yeah. and that drop off can be significant. That can, um, that can change the course of a game that can change the course of a season. So Miami's depth is not where it needs to be. I think they're starting 22 is good enough to go out and win 10 games this year. Um, but how much of that starting 22 stays intact for the course of the ACC schedule, that's going to play a big role, I think, in how Miami is able to maximize its ceiling. The other thing I would point out, just if we're talking position groups, I do think it's fair to to continue to keep an eye on the wide receiver group because no doubt they have balled out these first four games. I'm still a little hesitant to go all, all, all in on them because – had they faced a good secondary to this point? I think we've kind of learned like the Texas A&M secondary is, is shaky. Um, and look, I, I do think take it, they've taken a step forward in balling out against average secondaries, which was not something they did last year. But what happens when you face a Clemson team that can clamp you down? You know, um, how do they perform against that type of defense? So Luckily, I don't think Miami really faces any any super salty defenses outside of Clemson. Like FSU's is good. I don't think it's on that Clemson level. Um, but to me, that's just something to keep an eye on too, that wide receiver group. Okay, let's take a break. And then on the other side, we'll get into big picture talk with Miami and the ACC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back. Gabby, I, I kind of want to start here with where where we feel like maybe Miami fits in the national landscape. And look, this is probably premature. We still have a lot to learn on a national level where Miami stacks up. But to me, just through these first four games, I do feel like Miami looks like a top 20 team. I'm not quite ready to say top 15, but I, I will say top 20. And, and I think the... You know, the, the rankings in the AP top 25 is fair. They're number 18 right now. Um, offense to me looks like a top 15 to 20-ish type of group. Defense to me is like top 35-ish type of group. I think if it continues to play out that way, I think Miami can be a, a solid top 20 team at the end of the year, which is a big-time improvement. Of course, we'll see how the results play out. But to me, right now, Miami is a top 20 team. Where would you go with this? Yeah, I wrote down. So, I mean, what I wrote down is I think Miami's top 15 to 18 team in college football right now. Uh, you know, and I think they have the potential to climb. Like, I think that they can be, uh, obviously, a lot of factors play into that. And there's, it's like you said, it's obviously early for this type of conversation. But just at this point of the season, I do think Miami is like, a legit college football team. And does that mean yes, they're a they title contender? Apart. No. Yeah. Like, I think that Miami's like, uh, Miami's going to be a tough out on any given Saturday. And, uh, right. you know, I think that they have 
I think that they're going to put themselves in position to win games on any given Saturday. And are they going to win them all? Uh, you know, no, I, I personally don't think so. But, uh, you know, I think that they're a solid, good, you know, quality college football team. And that's why I have them right now, like top 15 to 18. And I can see them being like a top, like, you know, 15 team if it all goes well at the end of the year. Yeah, I think that's fair. How about just the ACC landscape? Where where do you kind of view Miami within the conference? Yeah, I, I, I think right now they're like a top – I think they're a like definite top – like I, I think for sure top five team in the ACC. I still think Clemson's good, and I know their record obviously doesn't reflect that. Like they're not going to play for an ACC title game, but I still think Clemson is like a top five, like you know, ACC team, top five, top six. Obviously they beat Duke, so it just depends how you want to stack it up. But I think Miami's – I think Miami's a team that can realistically, you know, potentially play for an ACC championship game. Like again, will they? I think that there's still a long way to go, but I think that they are talented enough on paper to – you know, go out and, and win a win, win a bunch of these conference games. Like, I think that they are going to be better than a lot of these teams. And again, I think any, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking through the schedule and I'm not just like, yeah, that's a definite loss. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not also not, you know, putting a win in Sharpie either, but I do feel like Miami has the potential to win, uh, you know, any game that's on their schedule. So I, I guess that's where I'm kind of at with them right now. Um, obviously I think Florida state's the best team in the conference. Like, I think that they're going to be, you know, the, the top team again, I still think uh, Clemson's really good. Um, you know, if I was like power ranking it right now, I would probably put Miami like third behind Florida state and maybe like, I think North Carolina, uh, to this point has kind of, I think just, Agreed. you know, their resume passed. Yeah. Their resume. I mean, they have, I think three power five wins and, uh, app state, which is, uh, obviously impressive, you know, app state's tough out is, is a tough out. And they've won a, a few games. So, I mean, that's kind of how I draw it up right now uh, when I'm kind of looking at the ACC landscape. I agree. I view Miami as a top three team in the conference right now, just after one month. And I would have North Carolina second. And look, Miami has a chance to to change that um, in a few weeks. But uh, the resume is stronger, both with Florida State and North Carolina. I think, you know, Clemson's right there too. They they do, they do have the best defense in the conference and that does mean something as well as their culture of winning at a high level. Duke is also a very dangerous team and I think Louisville's right there too because they do have an easy schedule and um you know, they're off to a strong undefeated start as well. So and Miami plays all those teams except for Duke. So they will have a chance to write their own story. Um, so let's get into the schedule. And first, I, I want to start, Gabby, with a little rant on just how I, I do think this first month of scheduling was it played out perfectly for this Miami team. You know, they started on a Friday night against a solid opponent in Miami of Ohio. Not a complete cupcake of a game, not like a Bethune-Cookman type of matchup in, in week one that can provide some fool's gold um, for a team. Miami Ohio is a legitimate team. They beat Cincinnati this year, um, and, and so that was their start. They got an extra day of rest for Texas A&M because it was a Friday night game. Uh, they go play Texas A&M in week two. They earned the victory, right? Their, their top non-conference game played out well for Miami. And then after that war of a game, they played on a Thursday night against an FCS opponent. So it was a quick turnaround, but it's against an FCS opponent, which does provide you 
opportunity to rest up in the big picture of things. Um, then they go play a, an easy opponent on the road with some extra days rest going into that game uh, in Temple. And now you have your bye. And if you think about it from like a big picture standpoint of a football season, you know, and, and counting fall camp, this bye week is square in the middle of the football playing calendar because you've had four weeks of fall camp which then goes into four weeks of the first month of the season. Um, so that, of course, is eight weeks. Now you have your break, and then you're going to have the eight weeks, eight consecutive ACC games moving forward. So I do like the way this schedule plays out. You know, a lot. I know a lot of things go into putting together a schedule, but to me, this was a very nice, definitely very nice, friendly schedule for Miami with the way it played out and built confidence in the team in general. Um, so let's get into ACC play. Again, Miami's off this week. They have a bye week. Rest up, recover. Uh, hopefully those injury, those guys that are dealing with uh, their injuries are back full strength. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely encouraging things out there or there's encouraging, um, there, there there's optimism inside the building that things are going to be okay coming out of the bye. But anyways, let's start with Georgia Tech. Who is two and two, one and one in the conference? Um, I think they are. My snapshot impression of them, Gabby, is offense is much improved. Quarterback Haynes King is having a good year. He's thrown yeah. for a thousand, or he's thrown for eleven hundred yards and eleven touchdowns against two interceptions with sixty-five percent of his throws. <clears throat> He's also a run threat with 148 yards and one touchdown on the ground. Um, and, and they portaled in a lot of a lot of receivers, a lot of skilled players, and they have a freshman stepping up at wide receiver as well. I do think Georgia Tech is a bowl team, and so they will provide a nice little test for Miami coming out of the bye week. Yeah, Georgia Tech, I don't think is uh I don't think it's a cupcake by any means. I mean, obviously with the transition to uh Brent Key, I, I think they did a good job in the portal uh getting, you know, even like you know, SEC type of guys. I mean, Haynes King was a quarterback at Texas AM. Uh, he was a highly ranked kid coming out of the state of Texas. Uh he's a guy that again, I think uh, you know, maybe Texas AM wasn't the right spot for him, but he could be a quality uh, you know, quarterback out of program like Georgia tech. And I think he's proving that, you know, at he's a place like that. There. Yeah, he, exactly. Yeah. I think he's kind of showing, uh, you know, all the potential, like he's showing the potential that, you know, the talent evaluators obviously saw from him uh, being a top arm out of the state of Texas. Uh, and he, he's got some weapons. I mean, he, I think, uh, you know, they got Christian Leary from Alabama. I think they got a receiver from uh, Texas A&M, a couple guys on the, on the, on the defensive side of the ball as well. They got a little running back. I think his name's Jamari Haynes or something who I, I thought, you know, can, I, I think he, I don't think he's, he's too bad at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, Georgia tech, I think they, they definitely have some guys, uh, someone just on the defensive side that kind of popped off to me on tape is Kyle Kennard. Uh, one of their edge rushers, he wears number nine. Uh, I can't, I, I don't remember if it was Wake Forest or the Louis, I think it was the Wake Forest game where he was just kind of like, just really creating some serious havoc there for, mm -hmm. for the Wake Forest offense. So, I mean, he was, a he, he was, he was someone that definitely like, you know, stood off, uh, stood off, uh, stood out. And uh, so, yeah, I think Georgia Tech's, a re I mean, they're a real team. Like you said, bowl. I think they're definitely a bowl team. And I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a nice test for Miami to open up ACC play. Not someone you can just kind of like gloss over in the schedule and just be like, oh, yeah, 
Like, let's keep looking forward to North Carolina. The one, the one area where Georgia Tech is bad, just straight up bad this year is run defense. They're allowing 238 rushing yards per game, which is like 128th in the country. Um, even South Carolina State, so their FCS opponent, got 196 rushing yards against them. And tackling does kind of appear to be an issue at times for Georgia Tech. So overall, to me, Miami should should win this game up front, both sides of the ball on the line of scrimmage. And I do think Georgia Tech's like a 6-6-ish six and six -ish type of bowl team. You know, if we're ranking all the teams in FBS, they're probably a team that's like in the 60s or so. So 50s, probably 60s. Um, so nice little test coming out of the bye week. Then Miami goes to North Carolina, who we've talked about has navigated a sneaky tough start to the season opening against South Carolina playing app state who we, we know is a tough out uh, Minnesota and Pittsburgh in this first month. That's a tough, you know, maybe not any elite teams in that first four weeks, but uh, you know, as a team's trying to find its identity and establish a rhythm in the first month, Again, there's no preseason football in college football. That's a tough way to start the year. Definitely. But, but they've navigated it 4-0. Of course, they have quarterback Drake May, who's a stud. Gone off to a little bit of slow start by his standards. He's he's throwing for yards, but um, he's got five touchdowns and four interceptions on the year. So uh, to me, Gabby, the one thing that does stand out to, about their offense is they have a run game. Amari and Hampton has rushed for 383 yards and seven touchdowns. He's a six foot, 220 pound back. Nate McCollum, the Georgia Tech transfer, is dynamic in the slot, leads them in targets, has 220 yards in three games. I think he missed the opener. To me, Gabby, they're not quite as dynamic at receiver as they were last year when they had downs. Um, but they are more balanced on offense. And so there is something to be said for that. And, and they're converting 58% on third down, which is huge because they have played four good teams and they're still converting or not four good teams, but four teams that have either power five talent or are a good group of five team. And they're still converting 58% uh, on third down, which is big time. So anything you would want to say about their offense? Yeah, I, I think it's just, I, I mean, the, the names I wrote down were uh, obviously Drake May and Amari and Hampton. I was going to touch on Amari and Hampton. And he, I think he's just, again, I think he's a, a really, really good ACC running back. Uh, again, I think that they found maybe more of that balance in, in Chapel Hill than maybe we've seen from them in the past. Definitely no Josh Downs there. Obviously, you know, one of the stories, I, I guess, going into the season was uh, Tez Walker uh, not getting yeah. the waiver. So I think the guy that they anticipated being their true outside wide receiver one uh, was declared ineligible because of that two-time right. transfer rule. Uh, so that was obviously a big kind of like gut check uh, for that North Carolina offense. And I think uh, Nate McCollum, the slot, uh, from Georgia Tech, who's really good for the Yellow Jackets last year as well. Um, you know, he was probably Georgia Tech's top playmaker. I mean, he think he would definitely was Georgia Tech's top playmaker last year. Um, you know, I think he's kind of emerged as kind of like maybe like the the kind of the go to wide receiver uh, for for North Carolina. But Omarion Hampton is is definitely 
uh, one of those guys is is is, is a guy that they kind of lean on as well, and he's a he's a talented back for sure. And their offensive line to me is average to below Corey average. Corey Gaynor's still there. I mean, he's still playing college football. It's unbelievable. Still, still unbelievable. their starting center. Yep. Can't believe it. I feel like he's played like almost as many games at North Carolina as he has at Miami. It's got to be close at this point. I bet it's more. No, probably. I and mean, he started like two full seasons, but I know he played a decent bit at Miami too. But yeah, I you know they're still kind of average up front defensively. You know, last year they were a disaster on defense. I think as a whole, they're they're they are improved, but they're kind of just like an average defense this year, which is a significant step forward, and that's probably good enough when you have a quarterback running back duo like they have. Uh, Kyman Rucker leads them with twenty four pressures, which is second most in the country to this point. He's he's their big time pass rusher. Their linebacker duo is nasty. Cedric Gray and, and Power Eccles are a good linebacker duo. The back end is better connected, but it's still kind of an issue for them. So I do think, like, as we're talking about how this matchup relates to Miami, you know, last year was like a – it was a shootout, but it was still only 27-24, I think, was the final score. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this year's kind of going to be more, more of the same, kind of like a shootout-ish type of game. Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of just going through, like, I guess the history. I mean, just like recent history. Uh, Miami hasn't won in Chapel Hill since 2017. And just kind of like along those lines of the game kind of being even just close, like in margin, three of the last four matchups between Miami and North Carolina have been decided by three points. So it's always a fun one when Miami and North Carolina kind of get together. And yeah, I expect it to be maybe more high scoring. It's a big barometer game for Miami. Big measuring stick game. Um, We will know. We will know what Miami is, I think, after this game. So we will we'll definitely talk about it. Uh, how about Clemson, Gabby? I know you you watched them against Florida State over the weekend leading up to Miami's win over Temple. What stands out to you about Clemson? What would you bring to the table on them? Yeah, I mean, I just I think their defense, I mean, you just watch, I mean, we talk about stopping the run. I mean, that that Clemson defense basically just like nullified Florida State's rushing attack, held them to 1.1 yards per rush. Um, yeah. It was very impressive to watch that the way that those guys kind of got after it. Obviously, Mike Norvell likes to counter people to death and he wants to run the ball. Um, and they blew that Clemson, up, Clemson literally just kind of made them like you, they had, they kind of forced them to find other ways, kind of put yep. the ball in Jordan Travis's hands and forced him to beat them. And, you know, tip of the cap to Jordan Travis, uh, you know, he did. Yeah. Thanks to some other, you know, fortunate circumstances for Florida State, but uh, you know, I, I think that that like Clemson is like like people are going to talk say I feel like people are going to start saying all this stuff about Clemson and yeah maybe they're not a national title contender but that's a good football team and that's a good yeah. defense and yes. uh, you know that that front seven obviously the linebackers Jeremiah Trotter I think he's having kind of you know not maybe the best year like I don't think he's as good as he has been kind of like in the past but they play a couple really young I think guys he was along. good in that game though. He was, but I just like, you know, just overall, uh, you know, right. I, I mean, Jeremiah Trotter has been, um, you know, he's been a top tier, you know, linebacker, yes. I think in college football. Um, and then they play a couple of young guys a lot on the defensive line, similar to Miami, Peter Woods and uh, TJ Parker. Uh, so those guys get a plenty of burn there. Xavier Thomas is a guy who's highly ranked who uh, is kind of healthy. And I think playing some, some good football now for, for the, for Clemson. So offensively, you know, I think they're still kind of, figuring out like I think kind of like what they're going to kind of be 
or just like what they are under this what what do they call it the dirt raid is that is that what Garrett Riley calls it that's what they said on the TV broadcast yeah yeah, yeah I, I think, that's, what, I think that. that's I'd never heard that either but apparently that's a thing um and yeah you know I, I think Kate Klubnik is is good quarterback I don't think he's like overly special at least not at this point of his career but will shipley's obviously really talented they got some good some pretty good pieces at receiver as well i like the tight end the breeding stool kid yeah he's good. i'm a fan i'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of of him i feel like he's a i feel like he's a solid uh college tight end yeah their their defense is definitely the place to start and they are still the best in the conference to me by a wide margin on that side of the ball they held that. So FSU's offense is absolutely talented, um, ridiculously talented. They have answers almost everywhere. And they held them to 17 points at the end of regulation when you take away their defensive touchdown. That's that's a big-time defensive performance by Clemson. Yeah. And you're right. It started in terms of against FSU – they they blew up that counter play more times than not, which is not easy to do against that Mike Norvell offense. Um, but yeah, they have an excellent linebacker duo: Jeremiah Trotter, Barrett Carter. Defensive front is the best Miami's going to see all year, and and I don't think it's close. Xavier Thomas was really doing his thing at the end yeah. of the FSU game with uh, bringing the pressure. And Tyler Davis, we talk about blowing up the counter. It takes a big time defensive tackle to do that. Tyler Davis showed up and did that against Florida state. So um, offensively, you know, just from that Florida state game, Clemson, again, they teams will tell you what they think of their talent by what they do. They Clemson wanted to tight end and running back Florida state to death. (laughs) It kind of worked right. Uh, To some extent in a ball controly type of way. Running backs are definitely their strength. Will Shipley and Phil Maffa, a nice little one-two punch. You know, they've over 600 total yards and six touchdowns on the year. So uh, offensive line, average to above average. To me, this is a game where the more scoring that happens in this game, the better it is for Miami. That's going to be very tough to do, though, because Clemson's defense is salty. And I think it is worth noting too, Clemson does have a bye week before this game. So they will be pretty rested and recovered and prepared for Miami. So, and you know, with the way they've started this year, this is going to be a rally game for Clemson. So they will, Miami will absolutely get Clemson's best shot at hard rock stadium in this game. Virginia. Oh, and four, Oh, and one in the conference. You know, I don't know how much we need to go into Virginia. It's just, it's a tough year after last year's tragedy that happened with that team. They just don't look like a power five team to me. Um, You know, Tony Elliott just needs a ton of time to build things up. And uh, I just think this should be a comfortable win in the middle of ACC play. Yeah. I mean, I think Virginia, the only thing that probably stands out to me, they start a true freshman quarterback and he's from, uh, yeah. the state of Florida, Anthony Calandria, uh, makes he's a little fun. He's, yeah, he's fun. fun to watch. That's the thing. Like he, he's a fun quarterback. But he's a to little watch. loose. He's a little Super loose. loose. With yeah, the definitely. Ball, so. Definitely. Definitely. I saw that he had like, I think like six, like four of his, I, I think this, I forgot what I think this was at the end, the end of the NC state game. I think four of his six, uh, interceptions, uh, to the, to this point have come in the fourth quarter. 
So I think yeah. even when it gets tight, it, it gets a little bit worse. So yeah, I mean, not much to say about Virginia otherwise. NC State is a team that Virginia kind of took to the wire. Yeah. Miami goes at NC State after playing Virginia. NC State's three and one and one and oh on the year. You know, the, the story coming in the season with them was Brennan Armstrong, the, the former Virginia quarterback, transferred into NC State to join Robert Anai, who was his coordinator at Virginia a couple years ago. So they reunited. The results have been not great, I don't think. Um, you know, he's thrown for 859 yards with five touchdowns and four picks, averaging 6.4 yards per attempt. He also leads them in rushing with 225 yards and three touchdowns. So, you know, with Brendan Armstrong, we saw this at Virginia. I think he's a he's a pretty good college quarterback, but there's definitely an element with him where it's just going to be a lot of backyard football. And he's going to, I don't know, like if we're talking about like pickup basketball, he's kind of like a ball hog, if that makes sense. Like yeah. everything... <laughs> goes through him. Uh, there's not much of a running back threat with NC State. They, to be fair, like I don't think the scale talent around them is that great. Uh, their leading receiver is a true freshman uh, slot guy in Kevin Concepcion. Yeah. And their offensive line is pretty average. I don't know. To me, NC State, just watching them, and they're playing like close games against Virginia and UConn. To me, they're not as... I didn't think they were going to be like great this year, but they're they're worse than kind of what I expected through this first month. Yeah, I literally I wrote, don't think they're as good as years past, but could be a tough out on the road uh, just yes. because it's going to be a, a they're going to that's going to be a stacked up environment for them. Yes. Uh, with Miami going over there. That's one of the that's one of the games that they'll kind of fill out the seats. Uh, K- Kevin Concepcion, I guess he goes by Casey now. All these guys get nicknames when they get to college. Uh, Casey, I was just going to say Casey Concepcion has kind of emerged as like the wide receiver threat for them. Um, just kind of looking at their schedule too. It seems like Miami's on the back end of kind of like a tough three game, um, you know, skid for them. And I think they play, they play Duke. Uh, they get a bye week, they play Clemson and then uh, they host Miami. Uh, right. And I think they host Clemson and Miami. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a, Again, let's see where they're at after they kind of play Duke and Clemson. But getting Miami on the back end of those three um, is is a tough is a tough string of games for those guys. Uh, so definitely going to be curious to see where they're going to be at at that point. And to that point, you know, the environment point, if if by that time in the season, NC State's kind of racked up a bunch of losses. It might not know, even be a factor. That and I think that the, the thing in terms of environment with NC State is night game. Yeah. Night games in Raleigh, they do they create a nice environment. And you know, if if you never know with ACC network, because they, you know, will put random games on at eight o'clock on a Saturday. But uh if Miami's not playing a night game at NC State, that's a good thing for Miami. Right. Agree. Defensively you know, their pass rush pretty average. Peyton Wilson, I think, is an yeah, NFL linebacker. For sure. Um, and Aiden White, probably like a late round NFL draft pick. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I overall NC State's kind of like a one dimension. They're kind of like like when Brendan Armstrong was at Virginia, they're kind of like that again on offense, but with a worse defense, if that makes sense. Like those Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall Virginia defenses were kind of tricky to go against at times. 
The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Star is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Star knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text STAR directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to STAR, he will donate $250 to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our Canes, call or text STAR today at 561-573-4661. Attention business owners, I'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now. Employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W-2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices ASAP. The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC. Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get paid. All you have to do is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today. ERCLawyers.com. Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. Next up is, so they go back, Miami goes back to back on the road, and they go at Florida State, who of course is 4-0. They have the best resume in the sport to me to this point. Again, only one, one month, but beating LSU soundly, and earning an away victory at Clemson is big-time stuff. Uh, to me, Gabby, FSU has college football playoff caliber offensive skill talent when we're talking about what they have, a quarterback, receiver, tight end, running back. The offensive line, to me, isn't a problem for them, but it isn't college football playoff caliber. Uh, that skill talent on offense, though, is going to make your head spin. So let's just start there. To me, Gabby... I feel like Keon Coleman is a first-round pick, the transfer wide receiver they got from Michigan State. Honestly, the more I watch him, I think Johnny Wilson might sneak into the first round too. I think he has that type of talent. Jordan Travis is an elite college quarterback. I don't really care about like what that means for his NFL prospects. Right. I agree. All, all I know is like he is an elite college quarterback. Trey Benson, off to a slow start but he's a big time running back and Jaheen Bell is a very, very athletic tight end for sure that, that can present some problems if you forget about him. So let's start with their offense. What stands out to you about them? Yeah. I mean, a bunch of dudes, like, I mean, you mentioned those two wide receivers, uh, you know, Coleman and, and Johnny Wilson. I mean, just talk about guys that can just go up and make, just, just make plays. I mean, those guys are, are two playmakers on the outside. I mean, Keon Coleman, I think is one of the most impressive. I mean, if you're just looking across like the college football landscape, he might like, be has, the best. Receiver yeah, I was gonna in the say, like I was gonna say, has there been a more impressive um, wide receiver this in the like this year than Keon Coleman? Like, I don't know. I think you can definitely make a, an argument that Keon Coleman has been the best wide receiver in college football this year. Uh, I mean, he's been 
he's been awesome to watch. I mean, he is extremely talented. Uh, Johnny Wilson, uh, again, he can kind of make those kind of crazy circus catches, and then you'll see him drop like the slants yes. in his chest. So it's kind of but like he's more consistent, though. He is this he year. He definitely is. He's definitely gone better. I mean, you still see some of those things, but he's been. He's also, I mean, Johnny Wilson has been has been amazing as well. Jaheim Bell's a guy I love a lot, and I I think like I think hit like that type of player, um, you know, I think it, it can be very valuable. I think the way that Florida State uses him is like I think that's kind of like their vision for like how like a guy like Elijah Lofton could yeah, eventually could be used that. in in in, a, in Miami's offense. So you know, I think uh, you know, Jaheim Bell definitely presents a whole different set of problems. And then those running backs, uh, you know, who they got Trey Benson, uh, the other ones, what what is it, Toa Feely? Yep, and Lawrence uh, Toa Feely. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think that that's a that's a good group. And I think they have another one. I can't remember the third guy's name. Hill. Yeah, was Rodney Hill? I think just like that that trio is is good. Is, is I think it's a good running back room, uh, just in general. So I mean, Florida State can beat you in a lot of different ways. And uh, they also have another tight end that they go to sometimes Kyle Morlock, who's another transfer that they brought in, um, I think from the FCS level. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, Florida, they can get you in, in, in so many different ways. And then you, of course, Jordan Travis is, has been, you know, has been very, very good. Dynamic. Think, yeah, definitely. So he, Florida state's offense and those skill pieces are, are for real. Yep. And uh, defensively, you know, I, I, I kind of view their defense as solid, like, it is probably it's a good defense. I think that's fair to say. Is it a great defense? I'm not I'm not there yet just watching them. I think Jared Verse, of course, is a big time problem on the edge. Everywhere else to me is kind of solid. Um uh, coverage at times can be a little loose and the tackling can be a little shaky at times just from watching them. But I will say this about that defense. They they do play really hard and they they bring the wood like they do hit hard, um, which at times kind of leads to bad tackling, but they do try and make you feel them, which I, I appreciate on defense. I like defenses that play that way. Um, to me, it's not a college football playoff defense, but but that doesn't mean it's not a bad defense. And and look, uh, I mean, we're going down a rabbit hole, but if TCU can make the championship game, yeah. um, you know. This defense is definitely better than that TCU defense, I think. And in general, this team, I think, is probably better than that TCU team, too. So, um, what about on defense? What stands out to you about them? Yeah, I, I think that that defensive, uh, their defensive line, I think, kind of kind of gets after it. I, I like the way that those guys kind of attack. I mean, with, with Braden Fisk, uh, Joshua Farmer, uh, Jared Verse, who. I think he's a really, really good player. I feel, I still feel like he probably should have gone pro, but I mean, whatever. I mean, he stayed and he's obviously a really good, you know, kind of pass rusher, Pat Payton. Uh, I think that they they definitely have some guys uh, along that defensive line. And then you can even rotate guys and like, you know, just like the Fabian Lovett, um, guys like that. Who, they, who I, I feel like they're just kind of deep on that defensive front. And yeah. uh, again, I, I don't think that they're like, even like in the secondary, like I don't even, I don't think that they're just like kind of like blankets back there. Uh, I think they're they're obviously talented. They're but, solid. Uh, they're, yeah, it's a solid secondary, but I don't think that they're just like again like I, I don't. Th- that's not the secondary I'm looking at and thinking like oh like this is gonna be like the test game for Miami just because uh, I I think that you know Miami could still kind of you know 
do their thing against them. Not saying that they're going to like just impose their will, but I feel like it's not just like an overwhelming type of secondary. Um, yeah, I think it's a solid defense. Uh, I think they're 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 a good defense. Um, but I don't think that they're. I definitely don't think they're like again one of the best in the country or anything like that. I think too, just the matchup between Mike Norvell and Lance Gidry is going to be fun to watch. Gidry dictated to Texas A&M, right? And we talked about how I don't think Texas A&M expected that, you know, what was coming in terms of aggressiveness and pressure from Miami. Mike Norvell, though, is going to have plenty of time to find some answers against those looks. And he's one of the best in the country at dialing things up. And uh, he certainly has the personnel at Florida State to make Miami pay on some of those looks. So that's important. Also, from a Miami standpoint, as we talked about with Clemson, the game defensively kind of comes down to containing the counter as much as you can, which is easier said than done against FSU. That's their bread and butter. Um, but that's a game where, like, Leonard Taylor needs to play the game of his life. You need Branson Dean to do his thing. I even think, like, Ruben Bain is a big-time guy that can disrupt things in that type of situation. Clemson did a really good job of blowing that counter up. And uh, that's a big reason why they were able to contain a very explosive Florida state offense in that game. So anything else you want to mention about the Knolls? No, no, that's it for me. Miami then hosts Louisville who is four and O two and O in the conference. Uh, Jeff Brom has the offense cooking uh, Jack Plummer. Who's there? quarterback he came from cal but he was with uh jeff brom at purdue for a little bit he's thrown for 1100 yards with 10 touchdowns and four picks uh, jamari thrash is a georgia state transfer at wide receiver 400 yards and five touchdowns jawar jordan uh, leads the acc in rushing with 478 yards while averaging 9.6 yards per attempt and six touchdowns so they're definitely a balanced offense right now. I think the blocking up front is solid. Uh, Louisville has definitely handled business here at the start sure. of the season, particularly on offense. Yeah, l- l- I mean, what Louisville has done on offense so far, um, I-, I think has, I-, I think has been huge. Like, I mean, just going out and getting a bunch of those guys, it seems like it's kind of it's kind of clicked. Uh, Jamari Thrash. I mean, that's a guy Miami like really, really wanted it at, at wide receiver in the transfer portal. He goes to Louisville. He's having an awesome start. I think he's kind of been what they expected him to be uh, when they went out and got him. Uh, so, I mean, that that was a huge pickup for them. Uh, even a guy like like Kevin Coleman, the Jackson State transfer, and a name that might sound very familiar to Miami fans from the very beginning of the Mario Cristobal era. Uh, he's gone to Louisville, and he's been a guy that you know returns punts and kicks for them. He's also been kind of a factor for them as kind of like a slot guy. Um, and I mean, Jawar Jordan is, is kind of the, the name that, that just pops off. I mean, he's been extremely, extremely productive uh, for Louisville to this point. And Jack Plummer is also spinning around. I, I think it was, I think he has like over a thousand yards and, and 10 touchdowns uh, to the season. I think he has like four interceptions, but he's been good to this point too. And, and uh, I, I think Louisville's again, has handled business uh, in the first year of this uh, Jeff Brom era, which, uh, Again, isn't always the case, which we saw very clearly yeah. with Mario Cristobal last year. So uh, they went heavy, heavy in the transfer portal. And uh, it seems like, you know, that's paid off for them so far. They faced some adversity in week one against Georgia Tech. They were down 
double digits in the season opener against them and, and they fought back and exploded in the second half, pulled out a 39-34 victory. But I do think I think Louisville's better than Georgia Tech, but I don't think they're much better than Georgia Tech, if that makes sense. So uh while they are four and zero, and they're definitely a team that is gaining some momentum, I don't think they are a team like I, I I like how Miami matches up against them. Like Jack Plummer, we've talked about him. He's definitely a statue pocket passer. That's something Miami should be able to generate pressure on and affect the quarterback. I think too Louisville really benefits from an easy ACC schedule. So I think their record is going to be impressive probably or halfway good when they play Miami in that second to last game of the season but in terms of just like acc play here's their acc schedule gabby georgia tech boston college which they've already won those games uh at nc state who we've talked about is eh. at Pitt, who's kind of eh. uh duke who's definitely good virginia tech and virginia who are both gross Bad. yeah <laughs> and then they play miami so they dodge Florida State, North Carolina, Clemson, Syracuse. Yep. Wow, that's impressive. Yep. So, um, and they play the three easiest teams. So Boston yeah, College. They play the bo- They they Virginia, they really Virginia they Tech. really cleaned up the whole bottom half of the ACC. Yep. And, and North NC State and Pitt are down relative to what For they've sure. been. One hundred percent. Yeah, Pitt's uh, not that good. Louisville definitely is going to be like an ACC championship game contender because of their record. Um, so we'll see. That's It's going to be an interesting game. I think their blocking is solid up front. Nothing special, but solid. The run defense is solid. One thing that pops about them is their, their defensive end, Ashton Gillett, leads the country with tw- 25 quarterback pressures. So uh, they're definitely – that guy in particular is affecting the quarterback. To me, the back end of their defense is kind of below average. Um, but from a Miami standpoint, that game just kind of seems like a stop the run and get to the statue quarterback type of game, which generally speaking, Miami Hurricanes football does well uh, when they face those type of quarterbacks. Boston College, to wrap up the season, one of the bottom three teams in the conference, along with Virginia and Virginia Tech, they're one and three and zero oh and one on the season. Um, oh, and you know, two, think- no. Because Florida oh, State, are they going to? Yeah, yeah you're Florida right. State and, and Louisville. So they have found something in Thomas Castellanos, who is a dynamic kind of dual threat quarterback. But everything else about that team is rough. Um, you know, I don't know what else to say about them. I think this should be a comfortable win. Yeah, <laughs> I think the only other thing to say about them is they almost beat Florida State. So, um, yeah. that I think that's that's basically. But I think that's probably as good as it'll get for Boston College. Uh, this season and maybe they'll sneak out a couple but yeah I, I i don't see them being anything close to kind of like a threat in the acc don't uh i mean boston and boston in late november so i think that's a yeah that's probably the biggest thing to take to, to put into that game right yeah i mean they lost to northern illinois to open the season they barely beat holy cross 31 28 then they lost a close game to florida state as you reference, and then this past week they got blown out against Louisville. So, you know, I don't know if they'll 
I don't know if they're a team that'll have much to play for in that last week of the season. And quite frankly, I mean, uh, they might, they might've fired their head coach by this game. So (laughs) 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 if I don't know, whatever. Um, All right. So that wraps up each team, each team on the schedule for Miami. Let's wrap it up here, Gabby. We'll get out of here on this been a long podcast, but I think it's good to do a long one here in the bye week just one long bi-week podcast. What is our confidence level that Miami can go win 10 games? What do you think about that? Yeah, like if I had to put, I mean, this is kind of how I wrote it down. Like if I had to put like a number on it, like yeah. scale it, like, I don't know. I think I can, you can convince me of like seven out of 10. Like I think as we kind of learn more about these teams, like I'm less afraid of like a school like NC State, for example. Uh, like, you know, I thought that that could be kind of like maybe a trap game. Like I feel like that's probably not as much of one. And just after having watching them played right now, like I think like, like I I do think because essentially what we're asking is my can Miami win six of the next eight and I think they can or will they um I think that's obviously still to be determined but like I'll go like seven out of ten on the confidence scale that Miami wins ten which I think might be kind of high um but like I don't like think it's like a, a layup but like I was what I was saying earlier like I'm looking at all these games and I don't see a game where I'm just like, that's a definite L. Like, I know Miami's losing this one, so which other one are they going to lose? Like, I'm watching, I'm going through these games, it's like, I could see a path to victory in each and every one of these games. But I think it's going to come down to, you know, obviously things that we can't foresee right now, and just ultimately just kind of putting your nose in, in the dirt and, and, and just kind of winning some football games. So uh, I think I definitely think it's, it's in the cards, it's on the table. They just got to go out and kind of get it done. I'd say there's... Just me. I I feel like it's like a 25% chance. And look, I don't know. Like at the start of the season, I'd probably say like, I don't know, 6% chance or 7% chance. So uh, I I believe significantly more after seeing the first month of the season. But this comes down to navigating a season and, and everything that comes with that. If you told me you could go video game style and turn injuries off, I'd say Miami has a really good shot yeah. at winning 10 games. Uh, it's just those unknown factors, which again, isn't like good podcasting, like hot takes or anything like that. But um, if there's one thing that needs to be normalized in college football, it's the importance of depth and how big that is uh, with navigating a season. And Miami's depth just isn't quite there yet. And so if they have some good injury luck, I, I definitely can see 10 wins happening for this team. So uh, knock on wood that that happens. Last thing, Gabby, and then we'll get out of here. Let's do a recruiting minute. So the bye week's always an opportunity to go out and recruit. Where do you want to go with this? Because I know Miami's already been on the road, and I'm sure they're going to go on the road again this weekend. Yeah. Um, what are some things, notable things? We've also had a decommit target, not yeah. Miami decommit, but someone they want decommit from their school. So what do you want to talk about here in this recruiting minute? Yeah, I think we can just go really quickly. Like, yeah, coaches are on the road. Mario Cristobal was out in Las Vegas on the West Coast, um, you know, himself on Monday. So at Bishop Gorman, which is powerhouse program, t- home to a ton of talent. Elijah Lofton's there, the tight end commit. And again, West Coast, I think you can do the math, uh, some definitely some Quality talent in Southern California, perhaps a five-star defensive tackle uh, who is of note um, that Mario Cristobal may or may not have gone to see. Um, 
I think Nikar is who you're referring to, David, the wide receiver out of Georgia who uh, decommitted from Georgia. Miami is very, very much in that recruitment. Uh, you know, I think he I think Miami's going to get Nikar down to South Florida sooner rather than rather than later. Um, I think the Georgia Tech game is kind of a spot where, you know, it's kind of the hope that he gets down here for that game. I think that's something that's potentially in the works. So I would definitely look out for that. Uh, coaches will continue. To, uh, Miami is also at Nikar school on Monday. Um, I think, uh, you know, coaches will continue to be out on the road over the course of the week, especially back half of the week, Thursday, Friday, and even some Saturday. A uh, notable cornerback target who plays a game on Saturday, Sione Laule, uh, at the junior college level. He, I think Miami will have a representation at his game on Saturday. He's making a commitment on October 8th between Oregon, USC, and Miami. Uh, so I think uh, Miami going out there making that effort, I think it's telling. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, just kind of as we're continuing to kind of go through the course of the fall, uh, Xavier Mincy is a guy who recently committed to the All-American Bowl. I still think Miami's in a really, really good spot there. He's teased a silent commitment. Um, you know, I don't know whether he has or has not done that, whatever the case is. Uh, but I do still feel like Miami is in a very, very good spot just in that recruitment in general. So uh, I guess that's a quick recruiting minute on the back end of a a grinder of a podcast. So appreciate you guys sticking through for that. All right. Good stuff. Uh, Miami will be off this week. So everyone enjoy the college football from around the country. And we will be back at it next week discussing Georgia tech. So until next time, everyone take care.